When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 429 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Hello, Jill. How's it going? It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. We are recording our third intro in a row because, as we've mentioned in the past few episodes, um, we don't know when we're going to see each other again. We don't. Because we are, our office is working from home for at least a week, if not longer. We will see. Um, but yeah, we are... As Joe mentioned in our last episode, we have a ton of author interviews. We so do. So we will be able to provide you at least one episode a week. Um, we're trying to figure out what to do with the other one. Um, and today's interview... <laughs> today's interview is just too much for me. <laughs> it's so fun. Okay. So we, I feel like we can make a little... We can have a little... Make some light I think of we can. Things. Yes. So today's interview is an interview I did with Emily St. John Mandel. Emily St. John Mandel has a new book that is coming out this week called The Glass Hotel, which is, um, I know it's only March, uh, but it is the best thing I've read so far this year. I think it will end up being one of the best things I've read uh, in the whole year. Uh, It is about a Ponzi scheme and of various things that fold out amongst that, which is fantastic. Emily Emily St. John Mandel is very, very well known for writing Station Eleven. Hey, Joe, what's what's like the basis of Station Eleven? (laughs) I can't. It's a pandemic. It's it's a pandemic. And somebody, um, just like, I feel like at this point we need to have a laugh every now and then. Somebody tweeted at this point a few weeks ago, hey, everyone, you should really read Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And Emily retweeted it and said, hey, all, maybe don't read that. (laughs) Maybe wait a few months. And it's, it's true. Like, I... You're one of the, you lean into things. I lean into things out. all the time. Yeah, I tend to stay away from them. That's one of the things we're, we're different on. But um, the Glass Hotel is fantastic. So good. See, read that. Read that. It has nothing to do Don't with Don't read pandas. Station Eleven right Don't now. Read Station Eleven. There are giant ships, but they're not cruise ships. They're like shipping container ships. Um, I interviewed her in Philadelphia. I had to remember where I was. Yes. That was a while ago. Uh, and we had a really, really lovely conversation. Ironically, one of the things we discussed was how for Station Eleven, she had to travel all over the place um, for a book tour, which sure. at the moment is not going up. No authors are doing book tours right now. Um, so it's a little strange to have this conversation, but I wanted you guys to like, I recorded this back in January when we didn't know any of this was going to be happening. So uh, go look up the tweet that she said. It was, again, it's... It's funny and like the dealing with stress in a humor type of a way. But um, yeah, you're going to love this conversation. The Glass Hotel is fantastic. If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. We don't know if we'll have a Thursday episode for you. We will keep you guys posted on our social and everywhere. So... Uh, that's about it, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Emily St. John Mandel on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast.
Hey everybody, it's Adam and I'm still hanging out here in Philadelphia at ALA and I cannot tell you how excited I am to sit down with Emily St. John Mendel, who is the internationally best-selling author of Station Eleven, whose work has won numerous awards including the Arthur C. Clarke and the Toronto Book Award. Station Eleven was also a finalist for a National Book Award, the Penn Faulkner, and is currently in development as the next big thing from HBO. She's written five novels, the newest one being The Glass Hotel, which uh, we're recording this in January, but I've told someone very happy at your company, I think it's going to be the best thing I've read all year. It's so good. Emily, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for joining me today. First off, sure. taking some time. My pleasure. Time. So we always love starting our, inter our conversations by having the author sort of introduce our listeners to the novel. So can you kind of break down what The Glass Hotel is all about for everybody? That has been so difficult. I can <laughs> imagine it's such. Yeah, yeah. so my, uh, my previous novel... And probably the novel through which most readers might know me is um, Station Eleven. Yeah. That one was so easy. They would be like, what's your book about? I would say, well, it's about a traveling Shakespearean theater company in a post-apocalyptic North America. Mic drop, like you're done. Um, <laughs> the Glass Hotel is a bit more complicated. So the novel circles two events. A massive Ponzi scheme collapses in New York yeah. at the height of the economic collapse, so winter 2008. And then 10 years later, a woman disappears from the deck of a container ship mm -hmm. in international waters off the coast of Africa. And those two events are related. Mm -hmm. um, you figure out why by the end of the book. And it's also a ghost story. Mm -hmm. So kind of a strange book and a little bit hard to describe is really the cliff note summary there. I you actually did a really good I imagine you haven't had to like introduce it too much yet because it's a little while until it Not comes yet, out. but I did have to pitch it in Hollywood. That's so right. like I had, a, I had a whole spiel. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was pretty intense. I. You mentioned the ghost story part, which I'll get to, but I do love, it's just like little snippets. I really love when novels do that, when there's just like a little bit of magical realism, like a, li like a little... But just a touch of weirdness. Just a touch I feel of like. That's something that I like as a reader, mm -hmm. so it's nice to put it in a book I wrote. Um, why a Ponzi scheme? I'm curious why you wanted to spend so much yeah. time with that. Um, I was fascinated by the Bernie Madoff story, which, if your listeners are unfamiliar, you know, it, it was the same, it was the crime that's in this book. It's, um, it was a massive Ponzi scheme, $65 billion with a B, uh, imploded in New York City at the height of the economic collapse. I was fascinated by that crime. It went undetected for decades. And it required such a kind of mass delusion on the part of very sophisticated investors who should have known that the numbers didn't make sense. Yeah. And in fact, here's the crazy thing. They did know the numbers didn't make sense. Right. So somebody pretty close to me was an investor, and he was one of the lucky ones. Um, this is not a phenomenally wealthy person, but he'd, you know, he'd save some money, put some of it with Madoff. What he tells me about it is, um, you know, we could never figure out where the numbers were coming from. Yeah. We went over the statements. They never made sense. But, you know, the money was so good, so we just kind of shrugged. And, so, yeah. So do you think, I'm curious, because I'm the same way, I'm fascinated by these hyper-successful, clearly hyper-intelligent human beings falling victim to this. Is it greed? Is it hubris? Is it just being successful so many times in the past? Like, how do the people fall for these yeah. things? Um, there's something that I found myself thinking about and reading about the crime, and something I like to emphasize, none of the characters are the same. This is not a novel about Bernie Madoff. Yeah. It's just the same crime. Um, something that I kept kind of thinking about, I guess, was um, this, this phenomenon of, you know, as a species, we will do almost anything to avoid looking stupid. Yeah. Like, including not asking enough questions when we invest our retirement money. Um, so I think that I kind of imagine that coming into play for a lot of people. You know, they're really smart. They're invested in the external image of themselves as very mm -hmm. smart people. 
no one ever seems to have said, wait a minute, I don't understand how this works. Yeah. Can you explain it to me again? They didn't want to look like idiots. That, no, that's, that's a really good Something point. To that. I feel like that happens like in doctor's offices all the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You'll, you'll be sick and they'll be explaining. I have a my sister-in-law as a physician's assistant. Right. And she'll be explaining a surgery to me and I'll just nod my head and she'll finally be like, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? No. No, like, no clue. No. Yeah. And people <laughs> yeah. that. So I, I guess you're right. It is that like you want to be in the know. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to be liked and respected, and yeah. somehow that bleeds into this really unhealthy thing of not wanting to be seen as an idiot, mm-hmm. which is not bad in and of itself. Like, yeah. you know, that's really all of our missions in life. But, um, but yeah, that can lead to not asking enough questions. <laughs> I'm also imagining you had to do a bit of research about shipping, because there's yeah, a lot a little of bit. shipping information yeah, in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you learn that stuck out to you? It's just such a unique thing I know, to research. Um, you know, I read a fascinating book on the subject, which I mentioned the acknowledgments, um, 90% of everything yeah. by a British journalist named Rose George. The title kind of sums it up. 90% of everything, you know, kind of came to us over the water. And I really do mean everything. You know, your socks, the chairs we're sitting on, this table, the candy in front of us, yeah. you know, um, so just all the objects of our day-to-day life. And I think what interests me about that is that it's hard to imagine anything more integral to the world economy, mm-hmm. but it's totally invisible and we never think about it. Yeah. You know, if it stopped, everything would stop, mm-hmm. but we don't even really know it's there and it just kind of hums along in the background. Um, yeah, I guess I've always been kind of interested in secret worlds, so uh-huh. that it's kind of a secret world to oh, me. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 the simplest part of, of ships, like the core concept of this massive thing can float, yeah. that part alone, that's yeah. all I know is I don't actually know how that works. Yeah. But yeah. Same with airplanes. Like, obviously I, they can fly, don't ask me how. If I ever <laughs> yeah. thought of, about a plane while I'm on it, it would just, yeah. like, it's why I never want to be on a cruise ship because I, would sp- I wouldn't even be able to enjoy it. I would just spend the entire time, I would just spend the entire time being like, we shouldn't be floating. This is wrong. Yeah, right. yeah. This is too heavy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're in the book industry and not yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. One of my biggest takeaways from the various kind of story threads and the character outlooks is that there's a lot. There's like this undertone of mental health, and I think that's kind of part of the ghost story aspect yeah. of it. Is is that? And I, I'm just curious. I feel like you're showing us that happiness isn't determined by our station. Right, I think there's something to that. Yeah. Or maybe another way of putting that is that it's possible to be a very unhappy billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And then when every, it, it's, you know, people acquire and lose money, and it almost seems like, I don't want to say they're happier without, because there are characters who are certainly not. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I read a really fascinating study years ago, mm-hmm. and it had to do with lottery winners. And basically the upshot of it was, you're basically the same person. Yeah. You know, so if you were miserable before you won the lottery, uh-huh. then six months after winning the lottery, you're miserable again. Yeah. Um, if you were happy before winning the lottery, then, you know, six months after, you're like, you're still happy. Exactly, so yeah. I found that really interesting because the flip side is that, of course, money solves an incredible number of problems. Right. And it's um, people who insist otherwise, in my experience, have never been without money. Yeah. Like, it really solves a lot. Right. It removes an incredible number of the day-to-day stresses of life yeah. you know that you just don't have to think about um and yet we are still ourselves there is some baseline there yeah there is um there's a comedian daniel tosh a comedian he's like this old joke that he has where he says something about it. he's like people say money don't buy happiness it doesn't buy happiness but if i was a, a wave runner and try frowning on a wave runner like it's like <laughs> right so, right yeah but i course. but i do see what you mean it's like when people say 
complain is about having is those are people who have never had to worry about yeah they've never had to choose between rent and groceries <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um so there was an essay that you wrote a while back about like your lengthy Station Eleven tour. Yeah, yeah. Which I felt very that was epic. Yeah, exactly. And it made me think. Um, you know, this isn't obviously your first novel, but as you mentioned, it's. You know, Station Eleven was the one you became like. Yeah. Instead of being like Emily St. John Mandela's, like Emily St. John Mandela's here. Like, <laughs> Just we all, imagine the blanket lines. All caps, <laughs> exactly. Right. Like international bestseller. Like, <laughs> right. um, did writing this book after that? feel different at all? I mean, I know it's your Yeah, film. yeah, it did. Um, this is approximately the least sympathetic problem in the entire world, so oh, which is why I've been That's okay, yeah, yeah, no, 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 of course. <laughs> but, you know, the, the truth is that when you've written a book that was really successful, then there is this kind of inevitable pressure with a yeah. follow-up. And I want to be clear, that pressure didn't come from my publishers. Uh-huh. They could not have been more sensitive and yeah. kind and, like, non, not yeah. pushing me. Um, kind of came from myself, but you just, you have this awareness of this sort of invisible audience looming over your shoulder, uh-huh. waiting for the next book. Um, I think that's part of why it took me so long to write The Glass Hotel. Yeah. It was also that I toured forever for Station Eleven, yeah. and then had a baby immediately following the tour, but... <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, it took five years to write this book, uh-huh. and part of it was because of that. Yeah. Um, my average used to be two and a half years. That was how long it took um, for Station Eleven. Well, it's it's funny you say that. Um, one of my favorite things I read last year was The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. I love that book. It's I just amazing. read it a few months ago. And I, I got to interview her for that. And in addition to showering her with praise as I was doing with you, like, I, she said the same thing. It took her seven years to write that. And she said, hey, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but going on tour, it's not like it's a glamorous thing. I guess yeah. you meet these countless number of people who tell you how great you are. And apparently, according to your essay, a lot of who tell you you're not so great. Which Absolutely, yeah. I can't imagine, yeah. first off, unrelated, I can't imagine going right. to an author thing and saying, I want to listen to this author speak. Yeah. Just so I can tell them that I didn't appreciate <laughs> no, it. It's pretty funny. Um, and, you know, to be clear, 99% of people are lovely. Yeah. That 1%. Is it <laughs> I know. A lot of those questions, it's kind of fascinating to me. They kind of boil down to... I can't help but notice that you wrote Station Eleven differently than I would have written Station Eleven. Yeah. And like my sort of uncharitable knee-jerk reaction is like, well, but you didn't write Station Eleven. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people um, people have all kinds of quibbles in the yeah. book, which is fine, but I don't need to hear about it. It is just such a unique life, though, as an author. This is just something yeah. Aaron talked about. It's like you, you go hide away, basically, in a quote-unquote writer's cave yeah. for so long when you're writing this book and you're not around anybody. Yeah. And then you you go on tour to talk about that book. It's all in front of everybody. You get like basically like a show horse. Exactly. Yeah. And then all the while, people are like, "Well, when are you going to write your next one?" And, I and you're like, "Are you kidding me? I'm here for this one, which yeah. took five years or seven years or whatever." Um, yeah, it is really interesting. A lot of writers can only do one or the other, you know, which is kind of fascinating yeah. and actually makes sense. They are absolutely opposite skill sets. Yeah. Um, I have kind of a performing background, you know, because I used to be a dancer. Right. I studied contemporary dance. And if we're being honest here, like, of course, this is a performance. You know, yeah. this interview, you know, this trade show, uh-huh. talking to people, um, and doing these epic tours. So, yeah. yeah, it's just a completely different skill that you dust off every five to seven years. Yeah, I was just going to say, I would imagine, like, don't get me wrong, like, exactly what you said, like, doing an interview, meeting right. people, it's, yes, it's a wonderful experience, but, like, much like you, I'm sure, like, at the end of the night tonight, I'm going to want to sit and have a cup of tea in my room and, like, just and quietly... And just, like, not talk to people. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. I, and I feel like... 
I wish more readers appreciated that. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I'm sure you do as well. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm going home by Amtrak later on this afternoon. My yeah. plan is to stare blankly out the window with noise-canceling headsets. Uh-huh. Like, That'll, that should do it. Yeah, yeah. He's just, like, looking at us soothingly off in the yeah, distance. Yeah. Uh, something I, I love, I really take a lot of pride in trying to ask questions that you wouldn't always hear. Because I'm right. sure, and I was thinking a lot about that when I was reading your essay, but like... All right, ask me again how what inspired this novel. But can I cut you off for a second? Yeah. That's part of the job, and it's fine. Oh, yeah, so oh, it's like sure. I never hold it against people if but it's the same course. question. But, yeah. but you know what? I'm curious. Like, it, what is the type of question you wish people would ask you? Like, do you love the non sequitur things? Or is it? Um, I hope it doesn't sound ungrateful if I say no. I can't think of anything off the top of my no, head because okay. I've been asked so many questions. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I know it's okay. No, it's that, yeah, that I, I don't have anything yeah, off the top of okay. my head. Yeah. 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 Uh, I noticed that like a potential connecting point between Station Eleven and mm-hmm. the Glass Hotel. And you'll indulge me for a moment. Of course. Because i got a lot of words here. Yeah. In Station Eleven, post-apocalyptic, post-pandemic like, world, people kind of still find a way to value art and culture mm-hmm. and to me I it shows that like those aspects help life yeah. carry on and, right. and um, in Glass Hotel there's several lines that show like how after losing everything from a monetary standpoint people can still appreciate what's going on around them yeah. like that feels yeah. to me is that very like, that seems like a thing that's really important to you I guess it is yeah the idea of resilience mm-hmm. and carrying on um, also you know when I was writing Station Eleven what I found myself thinking about was that if you're writing about a mass historical tragedy, whether it's real or fictional, mm-hmm. it kind of has to be personal, or yeah. it doesn't really um, it doesn't really hold your attention. Like, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, you um, like just say if you can think of say the worst possible, one of the worst possible historical examples. Um, you know, uh, if if you just if you say okay, six million Jews died in the Holocaust. Yeah. That number is so staggering that you can't really wrap your head around right. it. It seems abstract. Yeah. If you say a little girl named Anne Frank died in the Holocaust, yes. and here's her picture, uh-huh. and here's her diary, yeah. it breaks people's hearts. You know, so so like with Station Eleven, I was um, I was thinking of it in terms of kind of the personal tragedies within the broader tragedy, uh-huh. which which yeah is the same project yeah. as the Glass Hotel, where it's a massive crime with incredible collateral damage and fallout, mm-hmm. um, and that will kind of mean nothing unless you're really thinking of individuals. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. Um, yesterday I interviewed an author who wrote a book called Kent State uh-huh. about, the, it's the 50th anniversary this year of right. the Kent State shootings. And it was very, it's very personal in my family. My parents were there when uh-huh. it all happened. And, and exactly what you said, I think one of the reasons it struck so many people is instead of saying, well, 10,000 people were murdered in the same, you could say, like, yeah. these four students who were killed and by individualizing them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's yeah. what is so powerful about The Glass Hotel is you have right. these individual stories from all of the different aspects. Right. Um, the person behind the Ponzi scheme, mm-hmm. he goes to jail. That is not yeah. a spoiler yeah. alert. right. And he has this situation where his brain kind of breaks down mentally. Yeah, yeah. And is that something you researched and found out about people who are institutionalized, or is it just something that you wanted to play with that's kind of like the ghost story aspect of it? It's, it's a little bit of both. Um, so I knew somebody who had Lewy body syndrome, which is a form of dementia where you see people who aren't there. And so I, w- I was thinking about that and like the, the strangeness and tragedy of that. I also was interested in writing a go- like a straight up ghost story. Yeah. You know, the um, yeah victims of his crime are like literally haunting him. If you can use the word literally for a ghost, it's a little it's a little yeah. shaky. But um, 
Yeah, so I wanted to suggest some medical ambiguity there, that his hold on reality is slipping. He's seen people that may or may not be there, but they might really be there. Yeah. It might not be just in his head. And then, you know, the other, the other thing you kind of touched on, as his grasp of reality slips, he's sort of haunted by this idea of a parallel life that he's living in Dubai, like this, the counter life, um, which is a real word I came across that fascinated me. So your counterfactual life uh, is your counter life. It's a life you didn't lead. So, you know, the life where you went to a different school or married a different person or didn't yeah. go to work at overdrive. You know? Exactly, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, I, I guess it's fascinating to me to think about those possibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just the road's not traveled, I guess. Right, yeah. yeah. There's a there's a musical uh, called If Then, which okay. is very much like this, where right. they start the musical and then a decision happens. Right. And then they show you both versions, like, moving forward. Right, right. The, the sort of depressing part about the end of it, not to give away a uh -huh. musical that's been out for decades, is um, it ends up in the same place at the end, which I'm like, right. oh, well, hang on. Does that yeah. mean you're telling me yeah. my decisions don't matter? Yeah, but, it's a horrible thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I do feel... Exactly what you said. Like right. you can spend so much time thinking about the decisions you didn't make and exactly. the life you didn't lead. Yeah, the person you would have been. And, yeah. and when you're in prison, I suppose it's all you have. You've got a lot of time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. About 170 years. I think yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Followed by three years of probation. It, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That was such a good note. I'm, Thank you. When people read it, they'll know what that means. But I like. Yeah. I laughed out loud. I was like, that's. That's phenomenal. a ghost story. That's <laughs> so good. Uh, I mentioned Station Eleven. Are you? involved at all in the experience with HBO or is that kind of like you sold the rights? And I sold the rights and those rights are gone uh, but I am friends with the showrunner yeah. so you know if I want to know how things are going I can just text him. Uh -huh. It's uh, it's really cool. It's filming this week in Chicago. That's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah I, and you know a pleasure of not being involved in the production is I just get to watch it like, uh -huh. as an audience member and I can't wait to see what they do. I am I can't imagine the like whatever the feeling is it's, I don't know if it's an emotional feeling or whatever when you get to sit down and watch like see that'll episode be crazy. one yeah yeah that'll be amazing um, I, I can't wait to see it yeah, yeah. I made that thing that's amazing yeah. uh, so towards the end of our episodes we do nine lighthearted questions that I call the nerd okay. nine okay. I Go enjoy alliteration yeah. uh, the first one is what's the last book you finished reading um, a great novel by Charles Yu called Interior Chinatown, which I think just came out. It's, uh, it's so good. Do you have a favorite place to read? Any favorite place? Um, this will make me sound like a crazy obsessive, but I like reading on the treadmill at the gym. Like, yeah. You know, you walk four miles an hour, you get some exercise, and you read. I, I respect that. Thank you. Um, I would say I'm a distance runner, and I do it with right. audiobooks, okay. so right okay. there with yeah. you. Yeah. Do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Yeah, uh, Treasure Island, Robert Louis Stevenson. I read it when I was about eight. Uh -huh. I have such vivid memories that are probably totally inaccurate, but I'll never go back and reread that book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to unsettle that vision I have of it. My introduction to that was through Muppet Treasure Island. Okay. Movie. <laughs> and then I remember my mom was a third and fourth grade teacher. I saw that when I was really young, and she's like, you know, that's a novel. I was right. like, what? Yes. Blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. um, do you, is there some place, we're talking about travel and wanting to not do it as much, Yeah. is there some place you'd like to go that you have not yet been to? Yeah, I would love to see Iceland. Um, I have friends who've gone, and it just seems so incredibly beautiful. And also Stockholm. Yeah, yeah I've heard it's beautiful. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Um, I like New Year's. I just like a feeling. I like What's weird is I don't actually really celebrate it because I have a four-year-old. So it's like, you know, I'm just going to go to bed. It's midnight somewhere. Um, but I just like the new beginning aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, coffee or tea? 
coffee. Actually, both. Um, let's say like 75% coffee, but 25% of the time I like tea. Sure. Yeah. Uh, cats or dogs? Uh, cats. Do you have any favorite food? Yeah, I really like dark chocolate. That's a good yeah. answer. Uh, and then if you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would you pick? Um, this will sound really sappy, but my grandfather had died when I was 14. Yeah, yeah I miss him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from the Glass Hotel? I don't have a clear message in mind, if we're being honest here. I, um, I, just, I just really hope they enjoy the book. I hope it means something to them. Perfect. Emily, the book is so, so good. Thank you Thank for you. joining me today. It's such a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.